0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Last week, programme regular Dr Dan Waters recounted life back in the 1960s in Hong Kong, beginning with Typhoon Wanda in 1962, the run on banks, and then the turbulent second half of that decade under the governorship of Sir David Trench, with both the Star Ferry and the 1967 riots. In this week's programme, Dr Waters reflects on those times and how the riots
1: did lead to social changes in Hong Kong. In early 1966, I said to myself, well, I've been in Hong Kong for well over a decade. I ought to try and go to China. So I applied for a visa to go to China and this took a long time. And During the summer holidays, I was called into the education department and they said, well, your visa has been uh, approved and uh, you can go to China, but we must warn you, if you go, you are on your own. Uh, it's up to you. We can't give you any protection. And I said, yes, that's all right. But then it was almost at the end of the summer holidays. And so I thought to myself, well, I've got to go and start teaching again. So anyway, uh, I said, well, I will go at Christmas. Well, then, of course, the Red Guards started. And Mao Zedong, uh, he started uh, the Red Guards and all these people out to the countryside and that sort of thing. Well, all this was going on and yet in spite of that we still got our pigs coming through from China for pork and we still got vegetables just the same. So, uh, really, they looked after us pretty well. There were so many changes brought about during David Trench's time. I mean, for example, uh, in those days we didn't have minibuses in the early days and during the riots... Uh, most of the tram drivers and people and bus drivers, they were mostly commoners, so they went on strike. And we hadn't got transportation. And then all of a sudden appeared from the new territories what they called Julongche. This was pink great car, big, great cars. And they brought them in from the new territories where they were legal, where they could use them, and they started using them as minibuses. In the new territories, they could use them, and they could use them for carting pigs and uh, things around like that.
0: So they were more vans, were they? They were
1: more vans, working vans, but they could also have people in as well Mm -hmm. to take them from the villages. In two years' time, we had these more or less minibuses all over the place, and the government said, well, what are we going to do? And the answer was, well, if you can't beat them, you join them. Mm -hmm. So they legalised minibuses after that. They legalised them, and we've had them ever since. Plus, presumably, rickshaws at that time. We had rickshaws, and they were not really frowned upon. I can remember again in the 60s, we came back off leave, Vera and I, and we were living in a hotel just behind the uh, Peninsula Hotel. And every morning I wanted to cross over to go to the uh, institute. And there was a beer, there was a rickshaw there. And I used to get in the rickshaw and I used to pull the cover up and sort of look over the top when it was raining hard. And uh, the old chap got to know me quite well. It was a ridiculous price. I used to pay 50 cents to go from the, that hotel to the Star Ferry. They were gradually phased out, but it was the same as the sedan shears when I came. We had sedan shears up until 1959, 1960. There was half a dozen in Wyndham Street.
0: lives in a very bad part of town And everybody here tries to put by Snoopy down Snoopy, I don't care what your daddy do So, Sir so David Trench, during his tenure, there were the, the most dramatic events were, were the riots. I think so. Um, but um, w- during, were there um, elements that he introduced during
1: his time? Well, certainly, uh, after the riots, people realised the 66 Star Ferry riots and also the 67. It wasn't purely political, the 67. It was also people really felt that... Uh, We were not doing enough for the man in the street, for the man on the top of a tram in Wan Chai, for example. And we started to pay attention during David Trench's time to uh, crank up things such as welfare, education. I mean, we worked away and so that in 1971 there was a primary school place for every child that wanted one. It wasn't compulsory, but everyone that wanted one. Uh, Those that wanted to go out fishing on their sampans or something like that will let them go, but if they wanted, there was a place there for them. When I came, people did not have one day off work a week. So when you came in 1954? That's right, one day off a week. And right the way through, there wasn't a law passed giving people a day off a week until... October of 1971, there'd been a very active women's group uh, outlawing concubinage, concubines, Chinese taking concubines. And so again, more or less at the same time, October 1971, it was outlawed that men could not take concubines, Chinese men. But nevertheless, if a man already had, a Chinese man had two or more wives, concubines. Then they remained as concubines, but they couldn't take new concubines. And a lot of things like that improved the working life of the man. We had far, far more immigrants in those days who'd come, legal or illegal, and there was a the touch base policy. So you had,
0: as you say, both legal and illegal immigrants. Yes. Uh, tell me about the touch base policy.
1: Well... Uh, in other words, if people came uh, from, the, from China, they would come over in Deep Bay, Burr's Bay, some would swim on pig's bladders, some would use a raft, uh, a piece of wood or something like that, and they would come through, and then they were probably given an address uh, of relatives or friends who would be friendly, and they would try and get through to them in the urban area. And if they got through to the urban area, if they made it to the urban area, then they would be allowed to stay. But if they were caught, there used to be people, of course, at the border, such as the Gurkhas and the soldiers and the police as well, trying to catch them and stop them. And if they were caught in the new territories, before they got through to the urban area, then they were repatriated to China. Going back, of course, 1962, in May, there was that big rush over uh, Robin's Nest, uh, Marjorie Lang. Where's Robin's Nest? Uh, Robin's Nest is out by Sheltercock. And there was a whole crowd of people coming. They reckoned that about 100,000 tried to come through in uh, a time of six weeks. It was, it was strange because, I mean... China was trying to stop people coming through to Hong Kong, and then all of a sudden they lifted the restrictions. and The guards more or less said, "Okay, if you want to, where you go," and they were ushered through to uh, Hong Kong. And then afterwards, many of them were caught, and they were sent back uh, to China. A lot of them were sent back, but nevertheless, a large number got through. During this
0: rather frightening time for Hong Kong, where you'd had the Star Ferry riots lasting, as you say, just for about five days in 1966, you then had perhaps a much more serious, in terms of violence, riots of 1967. For you personally, where were you and your
1: wife Vera at that point? Where were we? Vera and I, we lived in Argyle Street, and we lived in a new block. We moved in there in 1960, and we lived there for most of the 60s on the other side. When it came to riots, it's quite interesting because uh, Kowloon side was always reckoned to be worse than Hong Kong side. If you had the trouble, it usually broke out and uh, it became inflamed and much worse over on Kowloon side than Hong Kong side. I was head of the building department at the time and I was at the uh, technical college, which was over in Hung Hom and we moved over there in 1957. There was no tunnel in those days, of course.
0: In your daily life, were were you affected by curfews
1: or bombs in the street? Oh yes, without doubt. Uh, We had, uh, I was in fact acting during most of the riots as uh, vice-principal of the technical college, and we had 10,000 students but we had uh, various centres, secondary schools, which were used in the evening uh, for classes. And very often, shortly, about half past six or something like that, classes would start at seven. Very often, you would have uh, a curfew suddenly declared. And you'd have to go into the class, and you'd have to say, well, sorry, chaps, nothing tonight, you've got to go home. They had difficulty in getting home, because... There was the shortage of transport. As I said before, the uh, drivers of the trams and the buses, they went on strike, and so many people had to walk home and it was some way to go. There was a bomb at the entrance of the uh, campus. Uh, Bomber Hill was very active. They reckoned there was about 8,000 bombs. Many of them were duds. They were not uh, genuine bombs. And the one, in fact, at uh, the technical college that I remember, that was not a genuine bomb. There were also one or two occasions when there were uh, slogans painted on walls and things like that. But generally speaking, our students behaved very well. Our students were there for a purpose. They were there to learn, and that's what they were going to do if they could. So by and large, there was no sort of uh, red guards among our students or anything like that. I felt that with Bomber Hill, for example. So what did Bomber Hill do? Well, he was very active during the riots. You know, there were bombs all over the place and he had his team of people. He was in the police and uh, he would be called out and called out there was a bomb here and perhaps it would be a dud. There was another one which was not a dud. And he got through the lot until after after the riots finished. But there was still the odd bomb or two. I can remember there was still a bomb at Morrison Hill Technical Institute, uh, Wood Road. Uh, That would have been in 1970. So there were still bombs afterwards, the odd one or two. But anyway, there was one near the government secretariat, and Bomber Hill slipped up that time, and in fact it went off. It actually went off, and he was quite badly injured. But uh, anyway, about 10 years ago, I read in the South China Morning Post that uh, he died. And I thought to myself, well, I must go to his funeral. And so I went along to the funeral of Bomber Hill. It was at the uh, funeral parlour at North Point at uh, Quarry Bay.
0: Norman Bomber Hill, MBE, who was involved in the Police Bomb Disposal Unit for 20 years. My thanks to Dr Dan Waters for taking us back to life here in the turbulent 1960s. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.